Love Talk Radio. Thanks, 
for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Next we have with us Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name, <clears throat> my name is Haki Kamakamashoki, and you know my thing is all about institution building. But Brother Africa, let me tell you, you know I'm quite pleased to see the demonstrations taking place in the United States and throughout the world. But the bottom line is that we can't lose sight of the fact that when we talk about the, the systematic abuse of African people, then we understand it's deeply embedded in the history of America. And as such, I, I, I wrote this piece. I want you to check this out. But anyway, on Tuesday, June 15th of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear a petition put forth by the UCLU, American Civil Liberties Union, challenging qualified immunity for police. Qualified immunity means police are empowered to violate civil or human rights of citizens without fear of punishment. In the case of George Floyd, according to Kamala Harris, a California senator, security eviction would be difficult. And the difficulty lies in the fact that if the police defense lawyer can demonstrate previous officers were acquitted from similar or same circumstances, no grounds exist for finding the police officer guilty of a crime. The case of Irrigana is instructive. Officer Pantaleo, who choked Irrigana to death over selling loose cigarettes in Staten Island, was cleared by a grand jury. Although the video evidence clearly showed Gardner's repeated claims, I can't breathe, the police were still vindicated. Now, bear in mind, the police, the chokehold was banned in New York back in 1993. Now, the original, the origin of qualified immunity lays bare a deep irony and low law, 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 excuse me, law place in resurrecting historical wrongs. Qualified immunity originally existed to prevent racist individuals from denying freed Africans their constitutional right. The Force Act, or the KKK Act, Strengthen qualified immunity by making it possible for individuals, including Africans, under the 13th Amendment and in slavery, to sue government officials if their civil rights were violated. <clears throat> this law was turned upside down by the Supreme Court president, which defined quali- uh, qualified immunity, the unique domain of institutions and those that defended those institutions. So the inherent rights of Africans and others was, was disregarded. And this process of disempowering Africans through <clears throat> the legitimized by courts got its impetus from political leadership who value less the sanctity of life, but more importantly, the pursuit of power and profit. The process of weakening qualified immunity was started by President Ulysses S. Grant in 1876, and the disenfranchisement, disenfranchisement of African people was established. This process of disempowering African people was continued by President Rutherford B. Hayes, whereby all troops protecting newly freed Africans were ended. With the absence of military troops in the South, arbitrary killings and hanging of African people were once again in vogue, with repercussions for Africans felt throughout the U.S. Needless to say, Supreme Court rulings reflected the political sentiment of the times and reflects even <clears throat> to this day. Now, the reason behind the systematic uh, violence is not difficult to glean. Violence inflicted on African people is both strategic and desired. Resolutions to end police violence and killing often echo long discredited ideas like police training, reform police engagement with the community, and my favorite, of course, sensitivity training for police. Despite implementing these reforms, police violence or killings continues unabated. The Bureau of Justice Statistics states every year 1,200 people are killed in the U.S. 
by police disproportionately African people. This number does not take into consideration, though, the police scheme is being justified or police killing that the, the, the organization don't report or police agents that refuse to keep statistics in terms of police killings. Now, police killings will continue. That's the bottom line. The federal government desired so, police unions desired so, and particularly corporations on Wall Street. And, 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 <clears throat> now, expenditures for major corporations, uh, Apple, Google, Target, Starbucks, Amazon, for example, not only provide funds for police violence and killing, but provide technology to more efficiently kill and spy on all people, not just Africans. So, the, so clearly we've got a systemic problem, and the question is, you know, what are we going to do in terms of recognizing that reality in terms of trying to bring on some real redress in terms of police uh, murder of African people? Without that fundamental understanding that there's a system in place, then we'll continue to be deluded or deceived by those who tell us that the police killing is simply a function of a few bad apples. It's important that we understand it's not a function of a few bad apples. It's part and parcel of the system in which, uh, that exists here in America. So we need institutions and actually to, 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 to get together, to form ideas in terms of how to address these issues, because without some, some real issue, answers in terms of how we resolve these issues, then the system becomes very extremely problematic for our people in terms of our survival in the society. So institutions are extremely important. I encourage people to build those institutions throughout the nation. Thank you, Aki Vicks, Brother Moses. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race secure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that my faith tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, on this Father's Day. Thank you. All right, we'd like to welcome everyone to Africa on the Move and to our listening audience. You know how we do this thing. If you have any views or comments, feel free to dial in at 323-679-0841. We will acknowledge your last four numbers. And right there, we're going to go to our first segment, what's going on in your world and community. Start off with you, Brother Anthony. Okay, uh, so, uh, several things of uh, of uh, significance. Um, they were uh, they were two uh, two brothers, um, uh, two uh, two Africans that is that were hanged in California, uh, about fifty miles apart uh, last week. Uh, alleged, uh, purportedly, uh, suicides. Uh, but, uh, but the families are demanding an invest, uh, investigations into that. And, uh, the circumstances seem, uh, you know, rather suspicious. Also, uh, let's see, on the international front, a group of uh, police officers in France uh, resigned on on mass from the police force uh, in Paris over the uh, over the protests against uh, police brutality going on in France. Uh, and I pointed this out to show that uh, police repression is a reality. 
throughout capitalist and neocolonialist countries worldwide. And also uh, in Oklahoma City, there was a demonstration yesterday of about 200 uh, unarmed and armed protesters protesting uh, police brutality in the state of Oklahoma. Okay. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Nick, Brother Hackey, what's going on in your world in the community? Yeah, you know, you know, Brother Africa, one of the things, you know, it's important that we, um, <clears throat> that we sort of um, convey. It's important to understand in terms of a lot of these programs, these stimulus programs that are being applied by the government. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of waste and, and um, uh, criminality involved in these programs, and people are not often aware, you know, of the kind of criminality that takes place in terms of these kind of programs. But the systematic stealing and ripping off of these of these uh, of these funds for these programs is commonplace. And I, I wrote this bit, and so I want you to check this out. I entitled "Capitalism, Corruption, and the American Way." Now, the level of corruption and malfeasance evident in the U.S. financial system is mystifying. The Payroll Protection Plan, the PPP, epitomizes the duplicitous nature of government policy designed to protect the real economy. And the real economy is defined as jobs, unemployment, payment, and those things that help people. But instead, it benefits corporations or wealthy individuals whose narrow interests do not coincide with the interests of the masses of the people. The PPP plan was created with express interest in providing financial stimulus to middle and small-sized businesses. The plan stipulates two important aspects. First, funds will be available for businesses that do not have access to loan and or credits from capital markets, capital markets being investment firms or commercial banks. Now, secondly, companies that qualify should employ less than 500 people. These stipulations not only define appropriate beneficiaries of PPP loans, but does so with the realization support of medium and small businesses is the best way to protect the real economy since medium and small businesses employ percent, 70% of the U.S. workforce. Needless to say, uh, large corporations saw the opportunity and mere legality would not stand in their way. According to Inspector General's report, 438 corporations have applied for PPP loans, even though they are un- unqualified. Reports out there circulated even when Congress confronted corporations about the misappropriation of funds, many refused to return the funds. If this is not egregious enough, corporations have been using PPP funds for purposes of expansion. In the case of Floortech Inc., which is a manufacturing firm for, oil, for, for products for the oil fields, they acquired PP loans in April of this year for $4.8 million. This loan coincided with filing form 1139 for a quick refund. In addition to a quick refund, this form authorized deductions for operating losses. And, and use of business credits not used in the past. It turned out that the 4.8 million PPP loan was used to acquire JP3, which is a data analytical company. Uh, <clears throat> now, by investing this, this, this $34.4 million in JP3, <clears throat> while it's willing to acquire $1.3 million in debt, Protec essentially brought JP3 using PPP funds. Now, tell me, how is this acquisition of JP3 helping the real economy? It doesn't. In fact, it will contribute to the further economic slump because workers must now be eliminated to pay for the funds used by Floortech Inc. to acquire JP3 in the first place. One would think this wholesale exploitation of PPP loan program would be confronted decisively. No, nothing happened. Instead of revealing the blatant corruption, the current administration fired the current inspector general overseeing the expenditures of the PPP program. Glenn Fine was fired and replaced with a Trump loyalist, Sean O'Donnell. O'Donnell is the same Inspector General of Environment Protection Agency who has supported Trump's draft to weaken both air and water protections. 
<clears throat> if this move is not problematic enough, Treasury lawyers say current administration is not legally required to account for how PP funds are spent. The opposition is government oversight is inconvenient. The democracy works best with little or no accountability or transparency. It was a strange democracy. But nonetheless, this is what's going on currently, and we have to be understand that as they rip off the system, as these wealthy corporations, these wealthy individuals steal from these from the coffers, we gotta understand one thing. It not only result in terms of resulting people not having access to jobs, it fundamentally weakens the economy. As it weakens the economy, it exponentially increases larger and larger number of people who don't have access to hope or access to jobs or access to a future, which means that it becomes an implicit threat for those positions of power. So we got to understand, so when we talk about historical role in terms of um, uh, internment camps and we talk about you know mass killings of individuals, people understand often it's done in, in, in regard to trying to maintain power. So the US, United States is no exception. So we have to understand that we understand, we have to understand that when we see this kind of uh, malfeasance, this kind of uh, corruption, we got to understand it does impact on us, both on a, on, a, on a personal and professional level. So it's important that people understand the kind of games that are being perpetuated by the wealthy in the society. Thank you, Brother Hockey. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Thank you, Brother Africa. Uh Friday, Juneteenth, I was in the streets with the working class uh, demanding that we cancel the rent, cancel the mortgage, People before profit and uh, no no more debt. And um, anyway, I'd like to um, to I think something's appropriate for this, at this time. It's going to take me a couple of minutes to read it, but this is an article that I wrote in Friday, September 13, 2013. Dear friends, after much consideration, I have decided to criticize the trend within the working class movement for justice and peace. The Zionists deny the truth of Jesus' teachings on internationalism and against the restoration of Israel as advocated by the Zionists of his day. True, many Trotskyites are anti-Zionists in the political struggle, yet ideologically they have not thoroughly broken with the Jewish tradition. This is manifest in the anarchy of production of childbirth. The most important decision another human most, the most important decision morally one makes is when and under what conditions one should father or mother another human. Christianity is about defense of the fatherland, i.e., the mother consciously declares who is the father of her child. Like Karl Marx and so many others, the children are labeled with the name of their father. This may seem like a small matter, but communism is a godless ideology and has no morality, only ethics. Professional revolutionaries are concerned with getting the job done, and this is the compass by which behavior is judged. V.I. Lennon pointed out that morality belongs to the era of religion. Marx proclaimed religion to be the opiate of the masses. The materialist knows only human behavior, and there is no God. Jesus lived at a time when answering the God question was vital to human progress. Without a vision, the people perished. Without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. Jesus tackled the issues and reconciled humans and God. Quote, I am the way, the truth, and the light, unquote. Wise people recognize the correctness of his position for it has meaning, especially for the Palestinian people. As Chairman Mao pointed out, the critical contradiction for the international movement of the working class is the national liberation struggle 
versus imperialism and not the imperialism versus the socialist camp. History has proven the correctness of this view. Trotskyism is the ideology threatening the advancement of the communist movement. Interestingly, the greatest defenders of socialism everywhere except where it exists have now generally accepted the existence of socialism, and there is no, there is less talk of, quote, socialism can't exist in one country, deform, workers' state, etc., unquote. The attack on J.B. Stalin and Mao Zedong are the direct result of Trotskyism and played a critical role in the collapse of the Soviet Union. I maintain that there is one God, Jesus, and that Mao is his messenger for government. In struggle, Robert. Now, the, the basically, the God question is essentially Christianity versus Trotskyism. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You're listening to Africa on the News, um, Brother Africa. We're in, the, we're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We will continue the discussion on what's going on in our world, in your world community, after we come back from this station break. Tu kata ya zita, tu kini 
na fitina Iri Congo yende mbele na Afrika nzima mama 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 eh oh na lelie mama Chattel slavery. 
And then, uh, and then when, when you know when they were they, when their numbers were decimated, they started. Uh, they turned to Africa as a source of cheap labor, and uh, and that's really when uh, you, you, you know the the, the violent uh, oppression of Africans uh, you know uh, inten- uh, picked up in intensity. And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, that occurred because they believed Africa w- w- was an endless supply of labor, they didn't care, uh, you know, about the physical abuse that Africans were subject to, and that is the root of the attitude that is that pervades the society about violence towards Africans. Uh, to a lot of uh, uh, to some Europeans, we have we, we to this day we ha- have no value other than as a sh- source of cheap labor. Yeah, well, I I, I concur with Brother Anthony on a lot of those points. But you know, one of the things, Brother African, and I, I talked about this before. It's important we understand the role of police and uh, productivity. See, you know, one of the things that, you know, when we talk about regular jobs, productivity can be measured in terms of output, how much you produce, or in terms of, uh, you know, uh, even, the, the, you know, the, the rising and falling of prices. All that reflects productivity, so you get a, 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 a very solid metric in terms of what you're actually accomplishing in terms of, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of the workplace. But when you talk about productivity in the context of police officers, it's very difficult. It's a very difficult uh, thing to to weigh because it's, because when you talk about police productivity, the question becomes: Well, how are you going to measure productivity in terms of police? Certainly, one of the ways to measure productivity in terms of police is in terms of the number of traffic tickets they get out. Uh, many of us uh, have been been stopped in the past and given tickets for things that we didn't do simply because the police officer got a quarter to fill, and so therefore he gives you a ticket then and knowing for well that you're not that you're not uh, that you're not guilty of, of the of the infraction. But nonetheless, you know, by turning that ticket, it shows that he's being productive as a police officer. So that is a problem. Also, in terms of productivity, one of the things we we, we have to understand also. Is that you know? In terms of you know, how do you measure in terms of whether you're actually doing your job on the on the streets? Well, one of the ways in terms of measuring in terms of your effectiveness on the street or actually doing your job on the street is, believe it or not, is to actually terminate one's life, somebody's life. Well, it's the ultimate uh, it's the ultimate um, ordeal when it comes to, to, to police officers. But if you do that, it shows those in, in positions of power in administration in the political in the police administration. That in fact, it's committed to the rule of law, and that's what's most important to them. So, if you're willing to kill someone's life in their estimation, then obviously, you know, you're committed to the principles in which this police department operates, and it's seen as productivity. It's not seen as something that's abhorrent, or something that is uh, unfortunate, or something that should be discouraged. It's seen as a person doing him or her, his or her job, and I know people don't want to deal with that, but that's a cold hard reality in terms of product, uh, when we talk about police police brutality. Also, one thing, brother, when we talk about in terms of the uh, the lack of concern in terms of African lives, we have to understand also, you know, that it, when we talk about you know this this lack of compassion for African lives, it's it's it's, it's, it's so um, much a part of the the, the 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 system overall. In fact, one of the things that I find ironic, you know, we you know when we talk about you know police you know police killing people, particularly African people disproportionately, but what we don't talk about is 
political designations of so-called terrorist groups in society. It's very interesting that you have a terrorist organization like the KKK or the Nazis, particularly the KKK, who have a long history in terms of lynching and killing African people, not being designated a terrorist group by, by the Congress or the FBI. It's very interesting, but they're quick to label you know, so-called black identity extremists or African people who are progressive, label, label us as terrorists. So it's very interesting. So these same people who, who intend harm, inflict harm on African people, is not designated as a terrorist, terrorist group. Now, if they're not designated a terrorist group, even though they're an they're they're explicit threat to African lives, then what does that say in terms of the, 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 the bureaucracy, the federal government, in terms of its, in terms of its view of African people? Does it suggest that it has a favorable view of African people, or does it suggest that the federal bureaucracy would love to see African people killed? I maintain it's the latter. I think that there is this implicit bias that exists you know, that throughout the system which, mean, which says that the value of African lives is not important. Of course, we can get into the social, so, you know, psychosociological aspect in terms of, in terms of racism. And, and one of the things that um, that's very instructive is that um, when we talk about Dr. Francis Wells, Weldon, Dr. Francis Quest Weldon, and uh, her her book, The ISIS Theory, uh, it has a lot of legitimate points. I'm not going to it now because it's going to take too long. But for those who understand that book, who haven't read that book, they should go read that book in terms of understanding psychosocial dilemma. Uh, uh, the, the, excuse me, psychosocial uh, parameters, you know, of, uh, of this, this whole question in terms of race. But finally, I would say, Brother Africa, also, one of the reasons why uh, the police continue to kill African people because we encourage it. And we encourage it because of the lack of organization. But see, you've got to understand, these people are not going to respect anybody or anything that is not organized. If you're not organized to articulate your interests, if you're not organized to, set, to, up, to safeguard those interests, then they're not going to take you, take you seriously. We have a long history in terms of police killing African people, and the response for that massive African people pretty much just being, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, well, that happens. As opposed to understanding that it's a systematic problem and that it only can be addressed systematically. So if we're talking about a systematic problem, if we don't have organi- organization in place, then systematically there is no way we can impact the system in terms of making sure that this kind, these kind of trusts and figures by African people will stop. The reality is it's not going to stop as long as we remain disorganized, and it's important that we understand that. So let no, so let no black conservative deceive you to believe that, you know, there's a problem in terms of the, the, the slaughter of African people. It's, it's just a few bad apples. Understand, this is not a result of a few bad apples. This is systematic. This is systemic. This is by design. This is no fluke at all. I keep saying this over and over again, and I certainly hope people gravitate toward this message. But one of the things is that, you know, uh, in a society in which the systematically gives increasing amount to 1% of the population, certainly the one tenth of 1% of the population, and society continues to give large sums of capital to that sort of very narrow group of people, it's, in essence what they're saying is that everybody else's existence is esoteric. In other words, everyone's existence is not important. And you, when you superimpose that with the history of uh, what's happened to African people in society, then you can easily see why uh, African lives not ver- viewed very, very seriously. So on one hand, you've got an economist says that uh, African lives are not important. On the other hand, you have a history that says that African people's lives are not important. Why do you think that these cops wouldn't kill African people? We have to have organization. We have to have it. Because without that, it's not going to stop. Demonstrations are good. That's good. It raises awareness. It raises consciousness. That's good. But if you're going to stop this, this, this systematic uh, slaughter of African people, we must have a systematic approach to, uh, to the suppression, and that's not going to happen without organization. So 
organization is the key to put an end to this this, 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 this continuation of killing African people in the society. Um, Brother Moses, we were responding to the issue that, that we reported last week on one of the major networks that over 120 people have been killed by the police since the death of George Floyd. What you make of that? I think uh, Brother Haki was on the money when he said um, the Ku Klux Klan is not designated as a terrorist organization. And we know that the Ku Klux Klan is in the police department, is in government. It's, they've uh, infiltrated and, uh, and are carrying out their atrocities, a genocidal approach to black people and people of color in general. And uh, so they have no redeeming value, no socially redeeming value. That's why in the 80s during the Reagan administration, I was at a rally, um, a demonstration said death to the Klan because they have no socially redeeming value. Just as fascism rose in order to squash communism, this Ku Klux Klan is also a reactionary organization. Just like fascism, they have no socially redeeming value. And I, 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 I hold no quarters for them. Um, I think, you know, the police, the police, you know, continue to not be held accountable. Uh, there is a congressional black caucus bill in, in, the, in the House now that's trying to hold the police accountable to, to prosecute them for their, their um, wrongdoings, et cetera, um, ban chokeholds, ban, ban uh, um, other, uh, I can't remember the other thing, but um, we, ha- we have to have the police have consequences for their actions, and that's the problem. Uh, the, the president and the Republicans and, the, and generally don't want to hold the police responsible. They just want to do study, 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 and, and vacillate, vacillate, vacillate. And we need to take, take control of this situation and, and hold them accountable. Thank you. Brother Africa, can I add to Robert's point? Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. Uh, something that uh, I think people overlook is the fact that uh, that uh, is that uh, even the uh, the document that's supposed to govern U.S. policy, the Constitution, uh, it's pointed out in an article I read that uh that uh the definition of citizenship in the US constitution a citizen is someone who's a descendant from a european so any human being that uh, that claims descent from either the indigenous people of the western hemisphere or an african is not uh is not considered a citizen according to the definition in the U.S. Constitution, and uh, a lot of people tend to forget that uh, that the rights of Africans and 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 uh, other non-European peoples were added to the con- uh, to the Constitution uh, 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 over a century, a- uh, you know, a- after it was ratified. By uh, by the uh, ex uh, British colonies, so uh, so so in the view of a lot of Europeans, uh, Africans and um, you know and uh, and so-called uh, Native Americans uh, don't have any rights. 
that Europeans have to respect. And this attitude pervades all institutions inside society, which I think is why uh, the violence against us uh, continues. And, and, and also, one of the things is that you see this all of these when you talk about you no know, African or Indian indigenous people are not considered citizens. All of this is a, all of this is is is, is, is um, justified or legitimized uh, by a, a by a judicial process. Uh, particularly, in particular, the Supreme Court says that in the final analysis, the Supreme I mean the Constitution is the the, the end all in terms of defining you know where everything where everything and, and it belongs. And so we have a situation where the Constitution is the final arbiter in terms of life as it exists in America. Then you have a fundamental problem. Specifically, when you have a situation where you've got the judges who are all origin, originalists. In other words, their position is that a couple of things hold true as far as Constitution control are concerned. One, uh, the, the power, the power of, of American society resides only with wealthy white individuals with, with capital and land. Secondly, uh, only those individuals that the Constitution deems citizen are worthy of rights being respected when it comes to um, the um, when we talk when we talk police matters. So clearly, we got a situation in terms of a, a judicial process, which is itself antiquated. So, at what point do we we stop? We cease being three fifths of a person. At what point does Congress say, "Listen, that has to be eradicated. We have to." That must be uh, must be removed from the Constitution. At what point would someone stand up and say that? For some reason, people are very very reticent or, or afraid to actually stand up and say that this that this that this particular clause has to be eliminated. Uh, but but yet we have to understand that because it does exist in the Constitution, it carries weight with a lot of people who are leading in society. So when we talk about a deep state, we talk about old school. We talk about people who go with, people who who who, who, who descendants. Uh, of, the, of the original people who actually came in here and enslaved the Indians and took the land, when we talk about those people who actually run things, they bear witness to the significance of the Constitution. So for their mind, whatever the Constitution says is the way it should be. And so despite what we hear in terms of television or the movies or whatever about, you know, in terms of people being equal and people being, America being a fair society and all things are just, Despite all of that, they come from a perspective that says that the Constitution defines all these matters. So if their position is the Constitution defines all matters, then we shouldn't be surprised that we're treated as something that's other than second-class second class citizens. Uh, not that I'm one who advocates being an American citizen. I never advocated being an American citizen. I should say I, I was born here. That's it. I was born here. Because if I was, like Malcolm X said, if I was a citizen of the United States, I wouldn't be treated the way they treat African people in society if I was a citizen. So because you don't treat me like I belong here, then my position is that I don't belong here. So I'm simply someone who was born in America. So people say, what is your, what, so what is your, what is your ethnicity, what is your nationality? I say, African. They say, well, well that, that's, not, that's not ethnicity. That's what it is for me. My ethnicity is African, period, period. So in any event, so, you know, so, so we talk about the, the role of the Constitution in terms of facilitating a lot of these injustices. So clearly it's a flawed document, but until someone steps up and says, a lot of these things, a lot of these, these, these a lot of these, a lot of these, 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 these um, uh, amendments in the Constitution has to be fundamentally changed, until that happens, then the people who carry out the suppression of African people are justified in doing so simply because the Constitution calls for the oppression of African people. All right, panelists. Um, 
you know, when we look at this phenomenon going on and try to figure this thing out, you, I want to uh, take you down memory lane. Uh, two to three years ago, there was a special report done by the FBI, uh, a so-called concern about the KKK was penetrating and joining uh, military ranks and police forces. Do you think this may be the results of what we're seeing now? The, um, that's what we're seeing. Um, based upon previous years, they joined the force to sort of give them a legal opportunity to carry out um, their desire to assassinate African people. I think that's a part of it. Uh, I think uh, also, um, if you uh, look at carefully at the history of policing, uh, one of the thing uh, one of the things that was done was, uh, let's see, during the 19th century, uh, there were uh, there there were gangs of Irish youth. That would uh, that would uh, you, you know attack the po- uh, you know police in New York. Uh, to what extent this happened in other parts of the U.S., I I I I I I, I, I don't know. But uh, one of the things that was done in, in, in New York was they uh, they absorbed these gangs into made them part of the police. And uh, they were able to per, uh, per- perpetrate, you know, uh, you know, their brutality uh, 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 under the cover of the badge, uh, so to speak. And uh, so I wouldn't, uh, so it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all that uh, that the Ku Klux Klan, uh, you know, infiltrated the military and the uh, and the police forces inside the U.S. And it seems to correspond with the increased militarization of the police staff that, that that has taken place over the last several decades. Yeah, yeah, brother Anthony. Also, the Irish also uh, are a mainstay in terms of the police department in New York City. Uh, historically, the Irish have always been given precedent in terms of becoming police officers. And so, if you got an Irish last name. The likelihood that you—it's very easy for you to end up a police officer, even to today. So it's, it's ironic. But in any event, the thing that, that gets me, brother Africa, is the thing that gets me is this: you know, when you think about the, um, you know, the the, the 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 you know KKK members becoming ranks of the police officers, that per se for me, I don't see that as a problem. I mean, let's 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 be honest about it, because the whole thing is that KKK is pervasive. I mean, they're very much part of the the American ideal. And so nobody's surprised when you wonder somebody who's have to be white and racist. So nobody's surprised by that. So likewise, I'm not surprised to find racist in the police department. But I think more importantly, I think is the reason why uh, the reason my con- primary concern is that you have a structure in place that allows them to act on that racism. That's the problem. If the police organization was above board and truly served the interests of the community, that even if they were racist, they wouldn't be in a position to actually uh, uh, carry out their racist uh, racist mindset. Uh, because they're inside of a system which, in fact, reinforces not only reinforces that racist mindset, but justifies that racist mindset in the event that they actually end up killing somebody of African descent. So clearly, you know, it's, the problem is not so much in terms of um, the, the ethnicity group, group per se, but it has more to do in terms of a system in place which makes sure that, re, 
that regardless of your ethnicity, that if that if you are predisposed to racism, that this this this, this police institution will actually reinforce uh, and actually encourage that kind of racist mindset. So for me, that is the problem. So what can we do in terms of fundamentally changing the uh, environment of the, of the police department? And I, I maintain that until you get rid of qualified immunity for police officers, you're not going to eradicate the killing of African people. So I so I think that uh, the, the, the fact that the cop is a, a KKK member is no different than a KKK member being part of a corporation or head of corporation or in the White House or, or, or in the cabinet level uh, positions in the White House. So I'm not surprised at all. I mean, they exist. But the question is what kind, what kind of uh, uh, um, system which condones that kind of that kind of that kind of mindset and actually rewards it uh, when they actually go out and kill someone of African descent. So that is the fundamental problem. So until we change the fundamental structure of police, the fundamental environment and how police operate, then we can always anticipate more and more African people being here irrespective of the ethnicity of the cops. I agree with what's been said so far. Um, we need uh, uh, inst- the institution that is fundamentally flawed from the, from the ground up. It was burst in flawed, and there's no change in it. Basically, no reform is going to change it. It's it's a it's a it's a uh, a tainted tree, or it's a poison tree, or whatever. And we need a whole new house. We need a whole new house. We need. We need uh, a system that's based upon people who are putting people before profit, people who, are, who, who, who people matter in terms of their lives and, and humanity, and um, we, need, we need a whole new ball game, basically. It's, the system is too corrupt. We need police, community policing. Uh, um, we need, we need a, um, a uh, counselors, when when someone is having drug problems, we we need we need a whole new approach to policing, and um, I don't see reform happening. I see qualitative quantitative changes leading to a qualitative change, and so we have to continue the the quantitative changes as best we can. But the bottom line is, we need a whole new system. Thank you. You know, brother Anthony, you said something real alarming in terms of what's going on in your world this week about the reporting of two African youths being hung and they and they claim it as a suicide. We know normally historically no matter how difficult these African people may find themselves in, that was some kind, that was a practice that they would very rarely ever have done to hang themselves. Um What do you make of this hanging, hanging aspect in terms of understanding that history? Do you think it's viable that they more likely have done that or didn't do that? Somebody it was some kind of fair play at stake. Uh, I think uh, from what uh, from what I heard about um, uh, from what I read about one of the brothers that 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 that, that was uh, that was hanged. Uh, it doesn't seem plausible in terms of the fact that um, uh, that one was uh, was a recent high school graduate, uh, you know had uh, you know had 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 plans for his future, uh, 
And it doesn't seem like unless something very traumatic happened very suddenly that they would that that they that, that they would that they would uh, resort to killing themselves. And uh, and and uh, there have been Africans uh, throughout the history that have faced very difficult obstacles, yet they never got to the point where they would take their own life. So both of those uh, incidents sound uh, somewhat suspicious, uh, and doesn't fit uh, the pattern of, some, uh, 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 of someone that 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 that, that had a, a bright future ahead of. Them. You know, brother Hachi one of the things I'm looking at all of this this uh, confusion that taking place. As it relates to African people um, being assassinated by official terrorism, police department, is that when you look at this, you just look at this whole issue. A lot of young people, there's there's a report going going around in which is talking about or saying that a lot of these youths that are being killed, they are selected killing by um, by the official. Um, Official terrorism. They are selecting killing and a lot of these youth have been singled out because of their political activity. And we see this kind of behavior plays out in many other countries where they go around and try to fight for all the leadership and the youth or those who are willing um, to fight back. Your response to that possibility of what we may be seeing and not really recognizing? You know, Brother Africa, you know, you, you really can't discount anything when it comes to, to strategy, when it comes to the police department. Uh, when you talk about a, 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 a government which essentially uh, knows on its last leg, so there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of desperation on, on, on the part of those who, who run the society. And so, therefore, one of the things that you want to limit is the potential for young people to grow up to be strong leaders. One of the things that are very clear, when you look in terms of the evolution of, you know, all the great revolutionaries, you know, they started off young. So something happened in their lives to sort of, um, you know, um, you know spark some interest in terms of what was going on around them. And in giving, in course, being young, one of the things about being young is that you're, you're much more um, not only energetic, but you're much more um, committed to an idea once you're struck with a particular idea. And so this idea in terms of revolution among young people is something that scares the hell out of people in positions of power. In fact, one of the things, Brother African, I think you find is ironic is that the FBI itself stated that the, the biggest threat to American, the American system is Generation Z. Now, for those who don't know who Generation Z is, Generation Z is people who were born in 1996 and beyond. So essentially we're just talking about people who are 20, 21 years of age uh, and above who are who are who represent the biggest threat in terms of uh, the survival of the capitalist system in America. And the reason is very, very simple, that Generation Z understand the irony, they understand the, the contradictions in terms of capitalism. They don't want to go to graduate from colleges and universities, get out here and can't find a job, or end up working at McDonald's, or end up driving a taxi, you know, just to make ends meet. Then superposed upon that is large debt in terms of, you know, for these for these for school tuition. And being in a position not be able to pay back your tuition, uh, tuition, so you stack with this, all this debt. There's no way to pay it back, and so they fundamentally begin to understand that there's something fundamentally missed in terms of how the system operates. That they begin to understand that a few people get all the perks, get all the benefits of society, and everybody else get poo pooed on. 
So they understand that. And so the FBI also understands that because they read that social media media uh, pages and they so they, they so they know what they're thinking. They tap their phone, so they know what they're thinking, and they constitute this particular threat uh, a threat to the capitalist system in America. It's very interesting. So when you when you think about them in terms of Generation Z, you talk about you know African youth, you know who come out of these universities with nothing to do. They have a long history of you know uh, you know uh, uh, coming from communities. Which people were where people were marginalized, and so they understand firsthand what it is in terms of the being marginalized. What they can't grapple with is the fact that you know you play by the rules of the game, you went to school, you got your college degree, you got your master's, you got your PhD, but you get out, you're heavily indebted, but there's no jobs for you. And so they begin to understand that the system is fundamentally flawed, that it's, uh, it, it stands in, in direct opposition to the interests of the masses of people, and as being part of the masses of people, they understand that the system doesn't work for them. And so, therefore, they're opting for, for something different. They're the first generation of openly talk about they want socialism. So they, so it's interesting that you talk about terms of targeting the killings of the Africans. So I'm not surprised that you'll find Africans. That's why I'm thinking about the brother, young brother Khalif Browder, the young brother they kept him in, in jail for three years for something he didn't do. I think about him in terms of his uh, decisiveness, his, uh, his, his clarity, uh, his intellect, in terms of his understanding of the world going around. He's a very young man. And so imagine that this, this 18, I mean, this 19, 20-year-old, you know, were allowed to live. Imagine if he, if he would have, if, if, if he would have, you know, matured into, you know, you know, you know, early 30s in terms of the kind of uh, leadership he brought to the African community. So I can see them actually eliminate those African, those African youth in the community who are, who are unconscious, who are very good in terms of uh, communicating with, his, with their peers, who are very good in terms of understanding the reality in terms of the situation they find themselves in. So and keep in mind, records are being kept all the time in terms of individuals. So people think that they can be, you know, pragmatic. But the reality is that any time you do things, say things, or do things which are deemed as uh, uh, quote unquote radical, or or, or or reveal the fact that you have a consciousness, then make no mistake about it. They want a record. Of, they want to keep a file on who you are. So they do that. So even if you were just walking the street and they got their equipment out spying on who's who in terms of who's talking to who. They make records of all this stuff, so they know who's who's um, who's who's conscientious. They know who's uh, uh, who's uh, discontented with the way things are. And if that's a young person who has potential in terms of organizing other young people, then it becomes an explicit threat as far as the people in positions of power are concerned. So targeted killings of young African uh, youth out here by police, I'm not surprised at all. I, as a matter of fact, if, if if they didn't do it, I would be surprised. All right, Pam, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pause for this call. So when we come back, we're going to make our transition to our theme tonight, Babbles to be Fought. We're going to talk about Babbles to be Fought. And uh, when we come back, I want you to put your thinking cap on. That was a recent video or a recent program aired on the Breakfast Club with a former police officer. There was a young lady. Her name was Cario Holmes. She was a police officer. When we come back, we can find out with her. We can talk about her scenario and what we can draw from this as it relates to trying to figure out what is really going on. So we're going to take a pause with the calls. When we come back, we're going to start off with Sister Holmes and her case. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon.
water and chains, living in pain. Today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yes, to last through my journey. To get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, for soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been. And made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. My journey, yeah, 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 Reno, written by Abby Adun, who was one of the founders of the last port. Welcome back to Africa on the Move. We're going to make a transition now to our theme tonight, Ballad v. Fort. Now, if you really talk about a good case to typify our theme tonight, a Ballad v. Fort, is this recent case. Uh, they had a young sister who was um, a former police officer on a graphical club. Her name was Cario Home. She was a police officer, I believe, for 16 years. She did something that any normal just person would do, in which she was in, she was preventing another young man, or even in this case, the elderly man, African, from being possibly killed by one of her by one of her peers. Um, he was going to put a chokehold on. He put a chokehold on the elderly brother, and um, she intervened and stopped stopped him from doing it. And as a result, she ended up getting fired. They tried to create a scenario in which she would not get a retirement fund. They also ended up lying and setting up her son. It has been a nightmare for her because she chose to do the right thing. Now, often they talk about the community with secrecy. They need to come forward and share information with the police. What about the Blue Seal silence? What about even when they would go as far as to lie on their own pills? And she ended up winning her case later on. So, panelists, what I want to do right now is just to take that case and look at this concept of a ballot report. The definitely is there's a ballot report. We're in among um, um, the police... Um, Institution here as relates to this level of outright denial, corruption, and they got carte blanche to do as they please when it comes come to African people and oppressed communities. Brother Anthony, you had a chance to see the video. Can you highlight some of the issues, concerns that that video brought out to you that the public can be aware about? Certainly. Uh, Carrie Carol Horn. Uh, she was she was on the a Buffalo police force for 20 years, and uh, during that course of that time, she had uh, she had been fired uh, twice, and uh, the first time she was fired, she was reinstated, and uh, 
you know, and uh, she had lost um, she she had lost some of her time toward her pension because of that. So she had to fight that fight against that. And um, you know, she was uh, basically doing her job properly the way she understood it. Uh, you know, uh, you know to pr- to, to pr- protect and serve the community in which she worked, and uh, and uh, there was an incident in 2006 where uh, she saw one of her coworkers, uh, you know, abusing his authority uh, by trying to, uh, you, uh, you, you know, choke. Uh, uh, the uh, the, uh, the African he was arrested. Uh, the, uh, at that time he was in his uh, the the uh, he was in his fifties, and uh, sh- and uh, she grabbed his arm and, st- and, and and forced him to re- release the chokehold. Well, he um, he punched her. And she suffered uh, serious injuries as a result of that. Uh, she suffers from migraines to this day. This took place in 2006. So this incident took place 14 years ago. But uh, her, uh, uh, let's see, she was given a runaround. Uh, her, uh, and uh, the matter was uh, was not taken uh, you know, seriously, by uh, the uh, you know the, uh, the the city government at that time, and uh, she ended up, uh, you know, she ended up uh, ha- having to, losing her job permanently, and uh, you know, and she uh, and she uh, she had trouble. You know, uh, you, you, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, meeting her, her her bills, and and she was homeless for a while, and uh, you know, she had to uh, raise uh, five, uh, you know, children under very difficult circumstances as a result of her her her, her loss of her job, but uh, uh, through her relentless struggle, she was able. To, uh, she had, uh, she's trying to push through legislation that would hold police accountable and prevent, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, police who come forward and report corruption from being persecuted by their coworkers. The legislation that's now in the books is a petition uh, going around and, you know, t- trying to garner support for that. But uh, but it it points out that there is a dub, there is a double standard uh, uh, for, uh, for for Africans versus uh, Europeans when it comes to doing the same job, and that double standard pervades all all, all occupations, but uh, it has uh, uh, drastic consequences for people that are involved in the police or the military. And it's often why, you know, uh, why uh, Africans who, who who are policemen behave the same way as their European counterparts, because there's a code of conduct they're expected to uphold. Otherwise, they could uh, face 
economic reprisal. In other words, the loss of their job and and their uh, pension and the ability to get a job somewhere else. Yeah, well, there's a similar situation uh, uh, in, uh, in, in in California, in L.A. Uh, with I, I can't believe his name was Charles. The last name was Doran. In any event, the, the, the brother was a police officer. And there's a similar situation in which uh, the cop was about to shoot an um, 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 African person. And the brother intervened and told him, no, 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 don't do that, you know, and he prevented him from shooting the brother. And, well, actually, it was a, it was a white female cop that was going to shoot him. And, and he went to report that to superiors in terms of the incident because there's no justification for for, elite, for, um, for the use of uh, a deadly force. So he went, according to the laws, he went and he told him to listen, you know, uh, I had to prevent my partner from utilizing, you know, deadly force when it wasn't needed. Well, as opposed to saying, well, good job, good job, well done, the process started to get him, get him out of, the, get him out of there. And, and what Brother Anthony said is so true, because one of the things in terms of organization, there's a certain amount of anticipated socialization they expect. They expect you to think and act just like they do. And so as an African person going into law enforcement, if you don't think and act like they do, then that means that, uh, you know, that you're not a bona fide officer. In other words, the focus for them is to get you out of there. But they only want people around them who don't think, people who are pe- people who are incapable of analyzing the situation, people who uh, people who um, put the system before justice, and so those kind of people, the kind of people that uh, that the law enforcement want in their ranks, and so it's not surprising that in case of the sister, you know, that when she's trying to do the right thing, uh, not only legally but m- morally, when she do, does the right thing, that she's victimized for that. But what does that say about the system which penalizes you from doing that which is right? And it seems to me I, I don't know what it is that people don't get. So often people talk about the fact that well, you got this, uh, this you got this, uh, you got this black cop. You know he, you know he's just as ruthless and just as uh, 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 just oppressive and just as uh, um, insulting as, as any white cop. Well, yes, because in order for him to remain there, he must exhibit those characteristics. Because if he doesn't, his ass is out. So those cops who try to do the right thing is very difficult in terms of being balanced in terms of your presentation as a law enforcement. Uh, uh, you know, if you want to stay there, it's not to say that there are not those who actually are in law enforcement who walk that fine line. But what that means is, because they walk that fine line, they never get elevated through the ranks because they never convince their superiors that they are completely sold on the idea in terms of, you know, um, the ruthlessness that uh, they say you need in terms of being an effective police officer. So clearly, you know, this this is a systematic problem. And so the question is again, what can you do in terms of revolving that that, that system? Now, in terms of legal recourse, what, I'm, what is what is very, very interesting is you would think that given the, the, the legality of the case, given the fact that what the sister did and what his brother did was absolutely correct, given that, you would think that the, you, that the, the lawyers would represent them and they get their jobs back. But strangely enough, ironically enough, uh, they never, nobody never seems to want to represent these, these, these brothers and sisters who are former cops but when they do the right thing. So what does that say? So for, the, so for the liberal lawyer out there, you know, uh, who, well, at least who profess to be liberal, uh, when these kind of cases come across your desk, the question is, why would you turn that down? I mean, what, 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 what legal precedent is it that would, would, would incline you to turn down an opportunity to do that which is right? So I don't understand it. But again, Brother Africa, this is part of a system. And so until we, 
So, so, so we, we, because of the system, we have to understand that, you know, that, again, it takes organization in the African community. Uh, you know, that's the only way you're going to stop it. If you're not stopping to at least minimize it, but, but organization is key. So the mere fact that this kind of injustice is inflicted upon African officers all the time, it's nothing new. And one other thing, let me close with this. I remember in Queens, New York, there was an uh, a, a, um, a African cop. Um, he, um, he, uh, this, 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 this white guy, this white teen, I think it was about 18, 19, he was about 18, 19. He had a real gun, and he pointed at the cop, and the cop shot him. Well, you know what? He didn't get it. He was welcome. What he got was scorn. His position was, their position was that, why did you shoot him? Oh, because the cops, well, he had a gun. No, 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 no. You could have disarmed him another way. You didn't have to shoot him. That cop, they all, they, they, they not only fired him, but the but they police department in Queens actually went to court to go after him. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? So they're saying, so what the cops are saying to him, the sanctity of white life is, is key. But you can kill as many African people as you, as you want, and we'll pat you on the shoulder and say, good job. But when you start killing white people, then that's where we go to line. So clearly the double standard that exists in terms of, in terms of law enforcement is, 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 is par for the course. And so for any African who wants to be a police officer uh, or, in, or in law enforcement generally, then the only thing I can say to them is that, you know, I hope, you know, that you would do the right thing even though it's going to be difficult. Um, certainly it's too easy to do the wrong thing. So clearly, you know, uh, this system has to change. But without organization, there's no possibility even a, minor, uh, even a, a minute amount of change, you know, in law enforcement. Brother Moses, your take from this um, scenario, the sister out of Buffalo? Yeah. Well, this, this sister um, um, and um, her struggles with the police department, uh, being a member of the police department, et cetera, uh, only shows and further validates the fact that the system is corrupt, that is, that is, that is, as Reverend Jeremiah during the Obama administration, I went to hear him and he said, you know, the Constitution is, is you bake a cake, and once you bake the cake, you know, if you forgot to add sugar, it's too late. I mean, you can't just sprinkle sugar on it like the amendment and sprinkling sugar on the cake, and uh, but the fundamental thing is the cake is 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 not good, and so you have to start all over if you want a decent cake, and so that's the way it is. Uh, Jesus cursed the fig tree; nothing good could come out of the resurrection of Israel, and so we have the United States and uh, and these reactionary governments um, dictating to the world and policing the world and trying to trying to have their weight on every subject and every matter and um this we need a whole new a whole new paradigm a whole new ball game and um until we start thinking in those terms and uh and uh start planning in those terms we're going to be stuck with repetition of people like the sister who who are trying to do right trying to do good trying to do the correct thing but continuously being persecuted for doing so Thank you. What do you make of the commissioner and the mayor as part of the collusion against the sister? And they were Africans. What do we draw from that, panelists? Uh, that's an, an example of neocolonialism at work. In other words, you have, uh, you basically have, uh, 
Europeans and blackface doing the bidding of the ruling uh, European ruling class, and uh, that's a, and uh, that is the most common form of uh, uh, of capitalism that's manifesting itself throughout the African world presently, and that 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 is you have. Uh, Elected political leadership or appointed that works in the interests of the uh, 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 of the European bourgeois ruling class, and 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 doesn't care about the interests of the masses of the people. And I think another lesson to be drawn for this is that uh, voting is a critical step. In terms of getting political power, but it it, it is not the only uh, thing that has to be done. In order to correct a problem that's systemic in nature, takes political organization, which we lack, and it's something uh, that our enemies are aware of, and it's in their interest to keep us in this disorganized state. So that we cannot fight for systemic changes in society, which is what it's going to take to put an end to uh, the situation that uh, uh, that that you know that that that, that workers like like Carriole, uh Horn and uh, and the brother out of California are confronted with. It's going to take a systemic change. Systemic change uh, cannot occur just by voting in and of itself. Yeah, well, you know, class stratification is a big problem in the African community. Uh, certainly one of the things that the ruling class does very, very well is propping up those among us who are the most opportunistic. And so, therefore, it's not surprising that you have mayors or uh, people part of city councils and so forth and so on, people in positions of some authority, are siding with the system because they understand they're, where, they're, where their bread is buttered. And so there's a real problem. So when we've got such people positions of power, the question becomes, what use are they to the African people? Well, there are no use to the African people. That is, that is a problem. And this is why organization is so important. So if you legitimize organization, I mean, uh, and, and create organization by legi- legitimizing leadership in those organizations, then you do the kind of thing to self-empower. And that's the key. That's the key in terms of moving forward. If you think for one second that these people who position so-called positions of authority are going to jeopardize their piece of the cake for the masses of the African people, you're sadly mistaken. Now, superimposed upon this reality that when we talk about when we talk about politicians, then of course we're talking about um, we talk about opportunistic individuals. Uh, to some extent, we talk about sociopathic individuals because the whole point is that you know anytime everything evolved around you and you're willing to lie and to do to say whatever in terms of achieving your end results then clearly it, 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 it sort of smacks of a kind of uh, sociopathic uh, 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 mindset, uh, which does nobody good, particularly no, no good for the African community. So I think that we've got to be very, very real about this, this kind of class stratification in just in the African community, because these people will sell us out. And recently they had a situation where uh, I, I said to myself I wasn't even going to talk about it, but they had recently had this situation with this, this clown um, who is a, a police officer, uh, you know he's a big guy. You know this, this is a big guy. You know he, he you know he lifts weights every day, and he's challenging uh, representatives of Black Lives Matter and Antifa to to a match in the ring. 
because his position is that uh, you guys think that, that all our all police are chumps, that we can't fight, and he's willing to go in the wing to prove that. And I'm like, wow, where do I sign up to? Wow, where do I sign up to be a part of that? You know, but the, you know, but the problem is that you get a lot of responses from people in, in the athletic world who are more than willing to, sure. I, you know, we have boxers who say, listen, you know, you, you, you got me about 150 pounds. I'll be more than happy to knock you out in the ring. You know, by all means, hook it up. So you got this, these kind of fools, you know, who, who are uh, who, who adamantly, uh, who vehemently uh, defend the system like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the kind of oppression, the systematic oppression, the kind of suffering, the kind of injustice African people uh, continue on a daily basis, he's not concerned with. His thing is that as long as he, he wins the favor of white folks and as long as he wins the favor of the system, then as far as he's concerned, everything is okay. So you got this kind of mindset. You got this slave mentality existing in a lot of African people. And so one of the things that we got to do in terms of our children, we have to make sure we root it out of our children. If we got it, that's one thing. But we got to make damn sure we have to commit to making sure that our children don't grow up with that kind of mindset. So if our children grow up that, with, with that kind of slave mentality, then it's pretty much over for the African masses, you know, in America. So clearly, you know, uh, it is a, this class trafficking in the African community is an issue, but I'm not surprised, you know, that these, these mayors' response in terms of um, injustice inflicted upon the system was to side with the system because they're not going to be seen as standing up for that which is right because their concern is that they're standing up for what's right. That means that they may not get any money from, from any crumbs from white folks. And so, therefore, I'm not surprised that that's what they do. They're opportunistic. That's precisely what they do. Before we move, move on to our first article, I just would like to say it's, it's just amazing watching that particular case and other cases where you can see everything so blatant in our lives that they don't have no shame in their game. What do they think the average public see when they're looking at openly how they just outright lie? Why should anyone trust in any of their institutions when they are displaying openly, openly that they are not to be trusted? If you allow on their own, what they wouldn't do to other people? They have no shame in their game. We, 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 you know, I, I think because uh, because the way uh, the enemy paints the narrative, uh, a lot a lot of people, particularly youth, feel that they have no choice. So it so uh, in in a situation like that, it creates apathy rather than uh, rather than that that than, than a desire. For genuine change, and people uh, and uh, people end up in a state where they either do the uh, do the same thing uh, that we've been doing for nearly a century and a half, or 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 or, 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 or do nothing, and uh, that's why we're in a disorganized uh, state right now. Because uh, because there are a lot of people that, that that feel they don't have a choice, which is not true. The choice is to you know is to better organize ourselves so that we can protect ourselves and uh, gain, gain gain our liberation. But uh, but that alternative is not presented to most of our youth for the most part. Because a, a lot of people 
that are in our generation have not played their role properly in terms of teaching the truth to uh, you know to uh, you know to the young people that are coming up behind us. So, uh, so we, so we got to do a, a, a better job of uh, politically educating our community, and struggle to get ourselves in or in organizations that are that that that, that are legitimately looking out for the interests of our people. All right, panelists, let's move on. But if you have a listener, what are you getting a chance? Uh, YouTube, go to Breakfast Club, and YouTube, Cario Homes, and um, check their case out and send their sisters in love. She needs your support. But let's move forward. If you ever talk about a battle to be fought, this is definitely one need to be fought. Uh, first article, there's an article titled Exclusive U.S. Wands Government. Firms against aid Iran fuel shipments to Venezuela envoy. Um, this seems like when you really talk about class, can you say bully? What is a bully? You know, the bully people around? This definitely seems like it's a um, case of those who think they have power choosing to do as they please and think no one has the right to uh, determine their own self-determination. Brother Anthony, what's up with the U.S. one and other governments not to deal with other countries such as Iran and Venezuela? Who gave them the right to do that, and where does this come from? It come it comes uh, basically from uh, uh, their uh, military superiority. Uh, you know, from a, uh, from a, a materialistic standpoint. And from an ideological uh, uh, standpoint, they believe uh, the U.S. government believes it's an empire that has a, 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 the right to impose its interests upon the world. And uh, and uh, because uh, Venezuela refuses to bow to the dictates of the U.S. government, it's being persecuted. And being star, and they're trying to starve it into submission by uh, forbidding other countries from trading with Venezuela, even though theoretically Venezuela is an independent country, got its independence from Spain nearly 200 years ago, and uh, and, and has the right to trade with whoever it wants to. But, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, but the U.S. considers the Western Hemisphere its backyard, so it it, it abrogates the rights to, um, you know, impose its will on, on on other countries in this hemisphere. Hmm. Oh, Haki. Now they tell you that you can't do it. You can't trade with another country, but you tell other countries they better not trade with other countries. Well, um, this is a battle that must be fought. What do you think? You know what? For, for Dale Castro said it absolutely correctly. He said, you know what? He said, listen, 
you all can sit around and get picked off one after the other, but you got to make a decision. If you all decide to attack that beast, then none of y'all are safe. And he's so he's absolutely correct. One of the things is that you know the imperialist, the imperialist power of the U.S. Our position is that uh, it can pretty much do anything it wants to do, irrespective of international law. So clearly, when you tell people that you don't have a right to trade, in fact, that they actively create conditions to make sure trade is impossible, that's a violation of the sovereignty of a state. In other words, that's grounds for war. And so when they tell the, 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 the Iranians that you can you can sell oil or, or provide oil, you know, for the Venezuelans, that is an act of war. It's illegal. And so mere fact that U.S. have the audacity, have the gall to actually say to the world, we don't care what y'all say, we're going to do as we please, speaks values in terms of the kind of hubris, the kind of arrogance that exists in the mindset of the, of the ruling class in the society. Uh, but one thing I want to put up, put up this is sort of the point, Brother Africa, but I want to point this out, this is important. When we talk about the U.S. relationship with Venezuela, one thing I, I have to point out is that the individual who's running that effort, leading that effort, is Elliot Abrams. For people who don't know who the Zionist is, this Zionist is the same one who was part of the, um, the um, Iran-Contra affair. That's mm-hmm. when they... So when it, when it, when it sold the weapons to uh, when they sold the weapons to um, to Iran, took the money, uh, provided the money to the countries in Nicaragua, then took that money, it took the, and, and gave the money to the Nicaraguans, then took drugs from Nicaraguans and brought to the U.S. and distributed in the cities into into African neighborhoods. So this is the same guy who's front running this uh, this, this uh, attempt in terms of to stop uh, Venezuela into submission. But having said that, Brother Africa, I think it's important that people understand that the kind of characters we're talking about when we talk about these these uh, these uh, um, illegal ventures uh, that they engage in, and understanding that these people got no 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 commitment to the truth, they got no commitment to international law, they don't really have a commitment to morality. Uh, these people pretty much um, do what do what they want as they when they want. So this is the reality in terms of the kind of people that we're dealing with. But one of the things, for Brother Africa, when we talk about in terms of trying to prevent trade. Iran is very clear on that point that it has the right to trade and is pursuing pursue its interest is trading. And one of the things that Iran, the leadership of Iran is very, very clear on, one thing they stated publicly, they said if you attack us, then prepare for war. And they're not bluffing. They're not bluffing. Like North, not the North Koreans, the Iranians don't bluff. If they say prepare for war, they mean prepare for war. And they're not going to just go in there like they did Iraq or Syria. And just go in there, and after many after many years, you know, come out. When they go into Iran, they're gonna be there for the next 30, 40 years. So they won't be coming out no time soon. So they had difficulty in terms of they were defeated um, by the Iraqis. Uh, so if the, the, the organized Iraqis defeat them, imagine what you can do with an organized force like the Iranians and go into Iran and try to take them on. So clearly, you know, this uh, this, this this notion that imperialist uh, imperialist mandates uh, are more important. Than, 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 than people's need in terms of trade is something that only a fool can buy into. Uh, this notion that you even have a right to even formulate such a policy uh, is it, it, amazing. Uh, but the mere fact that you still got Western states who um, essentially kowtow to whatever the U.S. say uh, gives you, a, you know, some credibility. But increasingly more and more European nations come to the realization that uh, the U.S. is a rogue nation. And it's such the kind of laws that is the kind of policies that it's pursuing are, are disadvantageous or counterproductive to the aspirations of their own economies. And they're realizing that there has to be a, a sharp cut 
uh, or uh, from the U.S. And so that realization is slowly coming, uh, slowly coming to a to, to a realization, you know, in European societies uh, in, in, in the Western world. But having said that, Brother Africa, I think that uh, clearly all states, all nations have a right to trade, and then there's no force on the planet Earth that can that should stop people from the right to trade. And when people and when populist powers attempt to stop trade, then you're certainly within your right, you know, to fight for you know um, because you you the fighting for your, your sovereignty is something that uh, that's mandated, you know, by international law. Brother Moses, what's your reaction to this situation? The U.S. posing our will on countries based upon their own self-interest, and they have now declared themselves at the world police. Should there be some legitimate resistance, opposition to, to that particular attitude and behavior? Well, where there is oppression, there's going to be resistance. And the more conscious the resistance, the more effective. And so... The people of the world have a right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, just like the citizens in the United States. But we have no right to uh, have a government that that is so, so a superpower that is based on exploitation of people, black labor, basically, and uh, gain super profits through the extraordinary exploitation of people of color. And so now we ran around the world, gathering up resources, exploiting people, imperialism running rampant. And sooner or later, the world is going to wise up and see that the U.S. is not their friend. And so the people of the world are going to unite. And um, so the, the, the government, the, the, the people of Iran have a right to, to um, trade and um, self-determination, including independence from the United States, just like the people of Venezuela, the people of Cuba, you know, Nicaragua, the, the Vietnam, North Korea, South North Korea, you know, they have a right to self-determination up to and including independence from the dictates of the U.S. And so the, the just struggle of the people support each other, and, and uh, we we learn from each other, and we the struggle continues, and Sooner or later, we will over, we will get rid of this beast. The, we get this beast off our back. Thank you. Okay, but Daphne, this is a battle that must be fought. There seems to be no other way around it. Let's move to the next few interesting articles, uh, panelists. I'd like for y'all to focus your attention on the article with its title, Divert Weapons. Funding to research prevent the next pandemic, Pope says. Let me just read an opening statement from this particular um, article. It's from the Veronica City. It says, Pope Francis on Saturday urged politicians to divert funds spent on weapons to research to prevent another pandemic as he led the largest gathering in the Veronica in nearly three months. Yeah, I thought this was an interesting article because he's assuming that there will be another or other pandemic. Why we assume such, panelists? What can we infer from this, this this projection from the Pope? Brother Hackey, you started off. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, one of the things in terms of the Vatican's relationship with intelligence communities around the world 
it has a very strong relationship in terms of its racial intelligence communities around the world. So often the Vatican is uh, privy to information that uh, the rest of the world is not privy to because of the relationship with intelligence communities around the world, in particular uh, Western intelligence, in particular the United States. So clearly uh, uh, Pope Francis has uh, some understanding in terms of the geopolitics involved with so-called COVID-19. So I suspect that, uh, you know, he realizes that uh, uh, COVID-19 is part of a much broader strategy and that, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about um, a global decline, uh, you know, uh, in terms of uh, trade, uh, then clearly um, the kind of the, uh, ensuing poverty is something that everyone should be concerned about. And one of the things that in order for those positions of power to maintain power, uh, then that has to be addressed. Now, in any event that the uh, situation around global poverty can't be addressed, it means that it makes the situation mm-hmm. of those in positions of power much more precarious. So they have to innovate new ways in terms of maintaining control and maintaining power. And so certainly one of the ways they can do it in terms of utilization of, of viruses, in terms of uh, not only to distract people, to, but to buy time in terms of other kind of strategies for the sole purpose in terms of um, dividing and, and conquering the populations around the globe. So clearly uh, Pope Francis has a, a, a global, a, a grand understanding in terms of what's going on. But I tell you what's interesting is that when he, when he, was, when he, when he met before all, the, all his congregants, one of the things that's interesting is that he didn't have a mask on. So he wasn't threatened by this COVID-19. And you ask yourself, so why wasn't he threatened by the COVID-19? Perhaps uh, uh, Pope Francis understands something that we don't understand, that he understands the political parameters around COVID-19 and that, that in order for it to be effective, certain conditions have to prevail in order for that COVID-19 to take effect. Perhaps he understood that, which may explain why he met with those people just sitting just a few meters away without a mask on. So it's all, all, all very, very clear. So I, you know, it's all speculation at this point about Africa, but that's the, but that is my view. Yes, um, I concur with the points Haki uh, made, and I would add that um, that I mean that um, you know uh, you you know that I think it's a, 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 a an astute observation made that uh, that uh, especially the capitalist countries spend most of their most of their resources on weaponry. Particularly uh, uh, neo-colonial uh, countries, I would add to that also, and uh, and that and that takes away from resources needed, uh, you know, to uh, you know improve healthcare systems in these uh, in the uh, in the various countries of the world that are plagued, uh, you know, by this uh, pandemic. And that, uh, and that, uh, you know, and that don't know, and that one way of preventing something like this from reoccurring is to change uh, society's priorities away from uh, weapons to uh, more on health care. And your response, Brother Moses? Well, the Pope. The Pope, you know, is is running a business, a multinational corporation, centered in the Vatican, and uh, which is an independent state, and uh, it's tax exempt, and uh, and so you know, 
his followers, you know, all around the world, you know, who listen to him, and you know, then they are opposed to uh, fraternal or sexual relationships between young people uh, uh, before marriage. Um, they're, they're, he's against uh, our culture in terms of uh, marijuana as a as a cultural phenomenon. That's why so many of us in jail because it's part of our culture and there's an attack on it. Um, I think, you know, the Pope has his ideas about what needs to be done. Uh, um, and um, to, to the extent that it's progressive, I support it, but it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a reactionary organization as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Brother Hakeem, I sort of agree with you in terms of, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're looking at the Pope and the connectedness that he has with the world and all these forces, he seems to be uh, trying to send people warning. He know that there will be other viruses coming because, one, there's a deliberative by Western powers to depopulate the world. And he depopulates certain segments of the world as relates to people. So, um... And also, we know pharmacy and many other people making big money off of this virus. Matter of fact, they can use this as a test case to be more effective on the next one that comes around. No one still doesn't talk about where the virus came from, who created it, who should be responsible for it, even though everyone knows. So, you know, I just thought the article was a, a real interesting article where sometimes when people put things out there, they're trying to communicate, you, communicate to you what may be coming on down the pipe. Let's move on to a next article that deals with this definitely a battle that needs to be fought. This article talked about in Rwanda, medical workers deploy robots to minimize coronavirus risk. This was printed on May the 31st. Um, let's start off. Let's start off with you, Hacky. You take this one this time. What do you take of they using um, the robots in Rwanda or in Africa, which is at least technological developed, you know, countries um, in terms of field technology? But it looked like they use these new technologies to perfect them so they can be better prepared to use them in Western countries where they will release or they will do the least amount of damage. Just the whole idea of using technology in the country that really not technologically set up for it. What you took from this article, Brother Hackey? Yeah, with this particular article, I wasn't quite sure in terms of when we talk about, you know, who innovated the, the technology in terms of the robot, who's actually responsible for that. I sort of reading between the line, I get the, the, the sense that the, uh, the, the, the people in Wanda was were responsible in terms of the innovation of, of that technology. And so, of course, uh, using that technology for the sole purpose in terms of limiting exposure, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I thought it was a very brilliant idea. Now, whether or not this uh, this, this, this strategy uh, will come to the West, uh, only time will tell. My guess is that it, it probably will. Uh, but the mere fact that they innovated this technology speaks to kind of African ingenuity in terms of ability, in terms of making the best of a bad situation. So you got to certainly give your head, to take your heads off to. The Rwandan leadership, in terms of innovating, you know, not only this, this kind of technology, uh, but to, to use it specifically in terms of treatment of things like COVID-19 and uh, and other more and other infectious kinds of diseases. So, 
I think it, I think uh, I see oil as a very as, as a plus, brother Africa. Brother Anthony, your response to this article? What you took from it? I took from it is the fact that they, um, you know, that uh, that 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 uh, you know that there's some uh, there's some efforts being made to try to, um, you know, uh, you, you know, come up with, uh, with a solution without totally being dependent upon, uh, uh, you know, uh, capitalist uh, technology. Uh, which in a way is a positive sign, and I think um, it shows the possibilities that exist among ourselves if we were organized and, uni- and united and actually focused upon, um, you know, uh, looking out for the interests of our own communities. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I see it as a good sign in a way because for the most part, for the last, uh, five centuries, a lot of our technical, technological achievements have, uh, primarily benefited other nations other than Africa, Africans mm-hmm. ourselves. And I think this is important. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I think, and I think another possible takeaway is the fact that we can teach our people that Africans have made contributions to science and technology, but that because they've been used to enrich other nations, it's not realized that they're uh, African contributions. And Moses, your take from this article. I'm sorry, Brother Africa, I wasn't able to read that article. I, I'm no investigation, no right to speak, so I'm I'm silent. Uh, point well made. So what we're gonna do right now, we're gonna pause for this call. So when we come back, we will continue to discuss articles and deal with this concept of battle to be fought. You're listening to Africa on the move. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the for only love can comprehend. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love and kiss here today. Pick it light and pick it fast. Don't punish me with brutality. Talk to me so you can see.
uh, the thing that we have to understand is that uh, these policies are not sustainable. And uh, so in addition to that, not only are they not sustainable, they're counterproductive because if you stop and think about it, you know, for instance, if you sit there and you prevent trade from actually happening, then what you do, you not only undermine the economy of the country that you, that you, that you embargo, but you effectively undermine the ability for people right here in America to buy food or to consume food at prices that are reasonable. So clearly there is a deleterious impact on the lives and lifestyles of individuals right here in America. So clearly these strategies are not working, but it speaks to kind of desperation. But as having said that, I think it's important people understand that because they're desperate, then we understand historically, when we look at it in terms of the kind of atrocities African people historically have been inflicted, atrocities historically been inflicted upon African people, then we got to understand that those atrocities are not going to ameliorate. They're going to get worse and worse and worse. The only way conceivably to ameliorate, to make it a little better in terms of preventing these kind of atrocities is for organization, because without the organization, we can't think. More importantly, with the organization, we can ha- we have a collective frame of, 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 of reference. With that frame of reference, then we understand the world. We see the world similarly. And if we see the world similarly, then we act similarly. So we need institutions in terms of facilitating, formatting, you know, uh, uh, that kind of uh, that kind of that kind of idea. So having said that, Brother Africa is always you know, encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix, because uh, without unraveling the matrix. There's no way conceivable to understand reality that uh, we're confronted with. And if we don't understand the reality that we're confronted with, then that reality will consume us. And that's a cold reality. And, and Brother Africa, once again, thanks for having me, and you have a good night. And thank you, Brother Haki, for your contribution to today's program. Next we go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for today's program? Yes. Uh, my final thought for today is that uh, Pan-Africanism is more important than ever, and the only way to achieve that is through permanent political organization. And uh, one such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. You can find out more about it by, by visiting our website, www dot a dash a p r p dash g c dot org or calling us at two zero two two four six four eight nine six to learn more about our organization and about Pan Africanism, which is one unified socialist Africa. Okay, thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program. As we stated today earlier, the theme, Battles Before It, when we say they are battles before it, we mean they are battles before it. We mean you will not be a big progress nor will you be able to overcome your oppression if you don't go and take on these battles. We must fight them, but we must fight them in the organized way. And the only way and best way to do that is through an organization. So we'd like to encourage our people to join the organization that is fighting for the liberation for their people and to help liberate the various forms of pressure as relates to humanity. We'd like to encourage you again to join our program on Sundays from 7 to 9 p.m. where we come to speak truth to power and to give you information so you can think and expose you to organizations so you can participate and think more clearly and act more clearly. So until next time, let's continue to fight these battles because if we don't, We may have a cold winter in America. We'll see you next week.
conspiracy theorists. What if Martin had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man? I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did its way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seem like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery. Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler, trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree, and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue in silence, or forever be our own downfall. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale, and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence, but don't let it seal our fate. Hide behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Because if Mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter. It'd be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Because if Mom had Twitter, and Malcolm had Twitter. It'd be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you're looking for will be right in front of you. Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new. I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right, your arrogance precedes you. What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic. Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry. Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me. A man lay dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who got five on my little bundle of temporary? Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary. Your statistics said by now that I'm going to be dead and buried. But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already. And the march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose. Two different tribes and we fighting the same person. Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us. Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear.
struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on this blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then for the 60s, the class struggle in the African Revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here then the masses must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America, they say, our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the clear poise position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we, who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we, who knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor. We're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. We here are revolutionaries, and we understand as revolutionaries that we stand on principles. You must not get confused. The American capitalist system does not lie some of the time. It lies all of the time. When it tells the truth, it's a result of a double lie. It's a fact everywhere. Matter of fact, you will read in your very textbooks that they say, politics is the art of compromise. Another lie. I'm a revolutionary. I understand that where principles are involved, there is no compromise. 
Osagifo, Kwame Nkrumah, that noble son of Africa, says any compromise of principle is an abandonment of principle. When one speaks of principle, there is no middle ground. There is no gray area. There is no in-between. It's either one side or the other. When the capitalist press want to attack the all-African people's revolutionary party, they tell people all the time, don't you all go listen to them. They're crazy. Especially that one Kwame Ture, he was crazy in the 60s. He's crazier in the 90s. <laughs> you know, they call Malcolm crazy, so they're not going to call me sane. <laughs> and I'll never be sane in a system that's insane. That's clear. <laughs> they said, oh, he's just extremist. You know, for him, everything is one side or the other. It's either white or black. Ain't nothing gray. It's either hot or cold. Ain't nothing warm. It's either wet or dry. Ain't nothing damp. They're correct. We're revolutionaries, and we fight for principles, and there is no compromise. You know this well as students. When you recount a story, either you lie or you tell the truth. Where's the middle ground? On a test, either you cheat or you do not. There is no gray area. And there ain't no such thing like I did a little cheating on the test. <laughs> either you believe in God or you do not. But the capitalist system will confuse you. A sister the other day tried to make middle ground, said, oh, I heard what you said about God, but let me tell you something. It's true that I believe in God, but I have my doubts. I told her, once you start doubting God, you have stopped believing in God. There is no middle ground in principle. If your people are oppressed, and you are not struggling to help alleviate the sufferings of your people, by your very active inactions, you are against your people. The point must be properly comprehended. The point must be properly driven home. Because the capitalist system will let you think that I ain't against the people, but I ain't doing nothing for them. If you ain't doing nothing for them, you're against them. If your mother is being raped, and you put your hands behind your back, and you look at the television and say, I ain't got nothing to do with it, you're against your mother. Right. If your people are being raped, and you're looking at television, enjoying a time, you're against your people. It's as simple as that. Right. The only way we will advance as a people is when we come ourselves to take our advancement into our hands in a scientific manner. For us, there is no in-between on socialism or capitalism. We know this. Socialism is nothing but an economic system like capitalism. There can only be two in the world, only two. And there can only be two because each economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the means of production? Who will own and control the wealth of the country? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everybody will own. It's as simple as that. Of course, they will confuse you. America prides itself on being the richest country in the world. She ought to be. She's the biggest thief in the world. <laughs> so my mama. I know what I'm talking about. She belittles Cuba because Cuba's a poor country. Big bad. Like if something has to do with how much money you get, even if you steal it. Well, in America, you know, it's so corrupt that everybody makes money by stealing, but the more you get, the less people ask you how you got it. So they come to condemn Fidel Castro. Some people even think that because Cuba is poor, America can just walk in there and shoot them up. Vietnam was poor. That's right. Vietnam was very poor. When I was in Vietnam, North Vietnam, because you know, I didn't go to fight the Vietnamese. They ain't did me nothing. I know my enemy. I'm not confused. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm not confused. When they call me, listen, I was in Mississippi getting terrorized trying to get my people to vote. They called me up in New York in the draft board. What you call me for? Well, you got to go to Vietnam and fight for democracy, give them the right to vote. <laughs> They said it with a straight face. <laughs> All right, thank you. I never got confused with them. No. But the Vietnamese whooped America on one bowl of rice a day. That's right. 
I don't know what makes them think the Cubans can't whip them on half a bowl. <laughs> and as for all you little Cubans out, you always planning. Look here, they've been planning on Castro since the Bay of Pigs. Let them plan on. <laughs> they will keep on planning. But Fidel Castro is a great man, and all people who love justice respect him. Cuba is a poor country, of that there is no question. But do you know in Cuba, every child from the time they're born until they die will have perfect health care free of charge to every level. They won't even pay for medicine. It's a poor country. Cuba is a poor country, but if you were a student in Cuba, you wouldn't pay a penny for your education, not a penny. And you look at poor Cuba and see its concerns for its citizens, and you look at rich America and see its homeless, of which Cuba has none, you can see the difference between capitalism and socialism. Socialism is an inevitable system. Don't you worry about these Cubans out here. Listen, they have so much disrespect for us that you know they're the only group in the country that picketed Mandela. I mean, more poor Mandela. Look at him. <laughs> I mean, if they picket Mandela, what are they going to do to me? <laughs> Mandela's calling for peace. I'm calling for shotgun. Fire him up. Shoot him all. organization Black Workers for Justice. Um, we came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, from Durham, um, and we're here because we support and we are part of the labor movement, but also part of the environmental justice movement, too. 
We are with UE150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers of America. In our communities, we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice on our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of our communities face um, environmental hazards. Uh, some of us come from communities that have super fun sites in the middle of them. Some of us are part of organizations, environmental organizations, that fight against coal ash ponds, that fight, that are currently fighting against the um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which will come through predominantly of colors, communities of color, black and Native American communities. Um, so we're fighting against that. We're fighting against hog farms, uh, proliferation in North Carolina, and the dumping in our streams from being contaminated from hog farms. So we see the intersections between workers being poisoned on the job and workers being poisoned in our communities. We want to close with a song. So we wrote a song, Fruit of Labor wrote a song uh, about water contamination based upon struggles that were going on in North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of it right now. Okay. It's called Justice Flowing Down Like Water. Family drank from a deep clear well to the oxen moved underground. Now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Little girl don't read so well, there's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fish of mama heat. Power plants causing you and me. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Clean water, clean water safe for all. That's it. <laughs> you have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is an organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state and people, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. Organize the hood under our chain banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live. Able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying 
no religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Shout out to black male. Live a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in their back than fire back. We're tired of that, corporations hiring blacks. Denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map That's why I write the shit I write in my rap It's documented, I meant it Every day of the week, I live in it, breathe in it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution You have this black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice and the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state So vast, so great, the African embrace, the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings. Human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond love beyond your skin. To where you belong. Sick of 
the club. Original one. East of town, if you keep up town, if you give this town. Take us a cake, take us a cup. Original one. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, 
is our love. 